The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Well, it's been a big tech wipeout. Earnings last week was a true disaster for these companies. We have Meta falling off the face of the earth, Amazon dropping 20%, and after hours before it returned a little bit. But it's it's been it's been brutal. Microsoft had a bad week. Snap had a bad week. I mean, take your pick. Even Apple, which had a good week, beat earnings expectations, also saw some shortage. So you know, as we are, as we tend to do on the podcast, uh, we are going to break down what the heck is happening with big tech, um, whether this is a blip in the radar or um, some bigger structural issues. And joining us to do it is Eric Jackson. He's the president and portfolio manager of EMJ Capital, um, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, based out of Toronto. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, great to great to have you. Um, we we spent Monday, I think on the set of CNBC. It's been the week's been a blur talking about whether Mark Zuckerberg would rein in his spending on uh, the metaverse as uh, investor Brad Gerstner asked him to do. He, he did it. And, uh, and Wall Street is, is really metting out the cost. So we'll get into that. But just briefly from, from the top, what do you make of the fact that, that big tech has, has washed out so hard over the past few weeks and, and really just had a very disappointing you know, set of earnings that's destroyed billions and billions of dollars in, in market cap uh, over the past week? To me, um, I tend to focus on smaller growth tech um, rather than the big fang names. And so, uh, uh, and that's simply because I think that, that um, it's, it's uh, I want to find sort of the next generation of companies that are going to form some acronym one day um, before. And, and those are the ones that hopefully still have a chance to double, triple, quadruple over the next few years. The FANGs are great companies. They are not anything like the companies that existed during the dot-com craze. They're, they're gushing cash. But when you're so big, and many of them a year ago were over a trillion, uh, how much more upside do they have is, is sort of the question. And you know, They're certainly not as, as easily able to double and triple. So what's interesting to me about what's happened this past week is that 2021 was a great year for tech. If you just looked at the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ, I looked it up today was, was up 21% in 2021. And the FANG stocks, and I'm including, you know, Meta, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Collectively, uh, those companies were up 31% uh, in 2021. So 10% above the NASDAQ. But the, the smaller growth tech companies and the Kathy Wood type stocks, had a brutal 2021. It really, the, the bear market for those kinds of stocks started really in mid February of 2021. Um, and so they, those were the companies that really felt the first tremors of inflation and, uh, you know, what was to come for the rest of the market. Um, but, but in large part, Fang held up in 2021. And I think a lot of people started to crowd into, uh, kind of the Roach Motel. Not, that, that's a little harsh on these names, but, yeah. but they, they they really piled in. And I think now in hindsight, we're seeing 2022 
being a, you know, a sort of a rewind of, of those kind of Johnny come lately's into those positions. So for 2022, and I think this is pretty up to date as we're recording this on Friday. So the average, so NASDAQ is down 31% this year. Um, instead of like plus 21% for, for the year before, but the, the Fang stocks plus Microsoft, whatever they call that now, FAM, FAM G or whatever it is, it, th- those are down 41%. So basically the 10% outperformance you got in 2021, you're now seeing 10% of underperformance in 2022. And for, for a kind of a two year period now, the Fangs are underperforming NASDAQ. I've got like, Nasdaq's down like 17% for those almost two years, whereas uh, FANGs are down uh, 24% collectively. So um, this, this week was really kind of the crescendo, <laughs> I think, of that, of that unwind for, for a lot of these names, except for Apple. Apple's the, sort of a last man standing here. So what caused this? I mean, can you kind of unpack you know, why we saw the smaller tech companies get it first, then these bigger companies, and then what caused the um the rough the, you know the the mass exodus that we just saw i think you know smaller stocks are always more volatile so you know the russell uh 2000 or 1000 you know are more volatile uh than the s&p 500 uh because they're you know they're just smaller they're more prone to kind of earnings ups and downs it can work great on the upside they can be you know big outperformers when things are going well but if they if they hit bad patches they can they can be more uh, tumultuous to the downside. And so I think um, these smaller, so tech in general, obviously, is more volatile than consumer packaged goods and you know, <laughs> uh, industrial uh, companies, even energy companies. Uh, so the growth, the growthier tech uh, companies just were inherently the most volatile of all of tech. And I think there was a false sense of security last year with the, the big fang names. Uh, and, and it wasn't just last year. I think, it, I think this has been growing some time ever since Jim Cramer kind of coined the, the acronym for fang, which I think is, goes back like six or seven years. Uh, when he first came up with it, it just becomes a, a shorthand and a, a sort of an easy way for investors to say, Hey, these are, these are the biggest, safest, uh, tech names. They're, they're the ones I know. They're the ones I have experience with. Uh, so from a retail per investor perspective, I think, I think there was just a tendency to, um, uh, want to flock to them as sort of like a safe haven, almost like the, the banks of, of the world of tech, uh, that they're, they're going to be here no matter what. And, um, I think, you know, this week and this year has shown that, uh, there's that, that, uh, complacency, you know, can be disrupted and, um, uh, you know, they're even, even for these, these stalwarts that they, it's, it's just tough to keep growing, um, at an increasing like year on year level after right. six, seven, eight years. Yeah. Liz Young from SoFi said something interesting on air on CNBC. She said that you first see the valuation contraction, which we certainly had, then the earnings misses, which seem to have come, you know, uh, in the past week. And then you start to see that show up in the economy. So, you know, these are companies that have large uh, footprints in places like advertising, you know, even the growth of the internet with cloud hosting. So do you think that this is a sort of precursor to a, a real downtrend in the economy? And can we read that from big tech? I don't think so. Not necessarily. Um, you know, nobody, nobody knows. But uh, I think actually this, my, my take is that these, these names 
and they're um, you know be, being taken out to the woodshed this week or this month, uh, this year is probably uh, a signal that we're closer to the end of the real kind of downturn in stocks. Uh, and does make me more you know uh, bullish that you know there's always going to be interest in technology. Uh, you know price price is a you know a cure for everything. Um, so high prices you know. After a while, they get cured by by stocks dropping. Low prices get cured by people getting you know attractive that there's attractive valuations here. And the one thing that technology stocks have going for them over all industries is is there's always growth. <laughs> you know, you you might have to change horses and f- you know find a new technology company to to get on board with. But um, you know that's that's the, they're they're on the leading edge, uh, and so there's always a growth story somewhere, and people are always going to be attracted to that. Especially in this environment of high inflation, low growth elsewhere, like you're not going to find growth, you know, maybe maybe for energy companies, but it, it's going to be a struggle to find growth out there. So uh, there there will be a search for new leaders, and the um, the smaller names, the lesser known names, have been beaten down so much over the last year and a half, going on two years, that um, you know many have been left for dead, and so I I think. You know, people will stop, take a pause, um, and start to you know get away from just the FANG acronym as sort of like the the quick and easy way to be invested in tech and start to look a little bit beyond that. And and so I think um, it, the, these smaller names are going to be they were the first into this downturn, and I think they're going to be the first out, even if the economy generally uh, that we see every day when we go out and get a cup of coffee is still challenged for the next six months to you know, two years. Yeah. And some of these bigger companies are now starting to become those smaller names. Like <laughs> I'd love to go company by company now and sort of break down a little bit about what we've seen, but starting with meta, are they now small enough that they might become a company that you're interested in? I mean, they started, you know, what, 13 months ago, they were one point something trillion dollars. Now they're 265 billion. They've lost 70% year to date. Um, are they in that Eric Jackson area now, or are they still a little too big? I always find it dangerous to um, uh, look for value stocks in, in the tech tech world because usually uh, you don't get the name value stock unless your stock's down a lot. And usually there's a good reason why your stock's down a lot. And so for Meta or Facebook, you know, obviously it's been the concern about um, their core business and how it's being attacked by TikTok and it can it hold up. And what's the the black hole that that's going on with the with their investments in the meta, metaverse? Uh, and reality labs. So, um, I guess on the plus side, you know, if you wanted to say like, okay, like what's the case for investing in Facebook here? Because 70%, uh, you know, you, you should take a look at something that's been so diminished. Um, uh, I think, you know, the bullish case would be that time spent on kind of the core of Facebook platform is getting better. Um, Reels is improving. Um, it's amazing to me, like when you start to think about these numbers, they did 27 billion, over 27 billion in ad revenue in the quarter, the quarter, <laughs> not the year, the quarter. <laughs> and, um, uh, but only, I think it was like something like 750, 770 million of that was attributable to reels. Uh, but it was double what it was in the previous quarter. So <clears throat> you have, you know, you could say, Hey, they, there's still a lot of upside here with reels. Uh, that's incremental. They've got the users. They've got two billion on 
WhatsApp, 2 billion on the main kind of core Facebook and, and Messenger. Uh, Instagram is huge. So <clears throat> there's still growth there. In normal times, <laughs> like, like not this past quarter when they, their free cash flow went from like 10 billion a year ago down to like almost nothing. Um, in normal times, they have a lot of free cash flow. Um, e- even though growth is slowing, they can put that cash flow to work uh, on uh, buybacks. And even if you say, well, is that really a growth story that you want to get behind in, in tech? Uh, it certainly worked out for Apple over the last you know, five years. They haven't had right. the highest you know, top line revenue growth either, but they're, they've bought back so much stock that that ha- does have a material effect. Uh, on people and it's attracted a new type of investor. So, uh, and then, and then the last thing I would say, which would be a bullish sign for them would be, this is, this is another mind blowing stat. They've spent $69 billion in the last two years on capital expenditures. So basically building out their, their servers the, with the latest and greatest AI techniques to figure out just what type of ad you want to see when you're clicking through reels and all this kind of stuff. And uh, that's a scale that we just haven't seen in the world before. And you, you have to believe that they are not idiots and that uh, $69 billion is going to have an effect down the road. So those, those would be the bullish um, cases for it. Um, but that said, I'm, I'm still hesitant to pull the trigger on, on owning the stock because of the, the fears of the, you know, where, is, where, where do things really bottom when TikTok is still growing like a weed? Uh, and how does that affect the core business over time? And despite the stock buybacks or the promise of stock buybacks, what's going to happen with the, with the, with the metaverse investment? Is it going to continue to be 10 billion a year? Is it going to grow to be 12 billion a year? Right. Um, I'm, I'm skeptical that that's going to see a payoff anytime soon. Let, let me, uh, you know, make the counterpoint to a couple of things that you mentioned and, and see, see how you react. Um, first is this idea that Instagram and, and Facebook reels are on the upswing. Um, my perspective on that is, is I don't see, you know, despite they're, they're showing some nice numbers, um, but I don't really see it as, as um, ramping up its competition with TikTok and YouTube shorts, because we just started creating uh, for those platforms, for all of these platforms on the podcast. And one of the interesting things is with TikTok, you could have an account with no followers and that platform will blast out your video to ever, you know, to, to people, see if it's good and then keep distributing it. Same with YouTube. But with Instagram, that's not the case. So TikTok and YouTube are actually taking into consideration a broad array of videos and bringing the best to people, no matter where the origin is. I think Instagram and Facebook way too tied to the follow model. And ultimately, that's going to lead to worse content to users and less incentive to create for creators. Now, they can say they, that they've seen growth. Of course, they had a start place of zero. Um, but ultimately, is this like actually a, a competitive product? You know, I, I I just don't I don't see it. I mean, it seems like um, lots of TikTok ripoffs from meme accounts that might let you to believe that you have a competitor where you don't actually have one. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't I haven't checked recently, like in the last month. But like the last time I was on Reels, it was like fifty percent of the videos seemed to be TikTok videos that might have been cut, sort of cut and paste there. So <laughs> you you wouldn't think that that's a great uh, competitive uh, differentiator when you're building your you know. It's not quite the same as the stories killer that they experienced with uh, uh, going after Snapchat back in back in the day. Totally, um, because stories was still social based, and this is entirely algorithm based. And if the algorithm is not treating the videos the same as TikTok is, then you're you're up the creek. Yeah. So, and how monetizable is WhatsApp? The two billion there, 
That's still an open question. What's going to happen in core Facebook Messenger? Is that just just going to kind of slowly melt away over time? Right. Uh, you know, as the gra- grandmothers and grandfathers <laughs> continue to, to flock there. Um, yeah. So I I take that point, and to me, out of all the fang names, I would say Meta or Facebook is the least interesting to me as an investor. Okay, so now I will make the case for Meta, buying Meta stock. <laughs> I'm going to do okay. this a little bit more uh, in a special episode this Saturday with uh, Marshall Kosloff and Sagar and Jetty of The Realignment. So folks, we have a special one coming focusing on the midterms and on um, you know broader U.S. global politics. And then we do a second half, a short one on tech. But in case you don't get that far, I feel like it's worth bringing up now. If you buy Meta stock today, and this is a little bit based off of Josh, what Josh Brown said, he, he bought into it. Um, you almost get two bets in one. You either bet A, that this metaverse is going to work out, or B, that they'll come to their senses and it won't work out. And then the stock market will be like, okay, you know, they're not investing anymore in the metaverse. And then take that stock and, and double it or triple it. So for that one share, you get those two options. Appealing? Not to me. I mean, I, they're an ad company. Uh, the metaverse is a product company. Uh, or, or it's, it, it's, a it's sort of like a product slash enterprise play the way that they've sold it. It's like, it's not you personally are going to buy this and take it to your meeting. But if you work for, you know, big company, a, they're going to buy all these VR headsets and send them out to all the, the, the workforce, uh, to use, to do zooms and stuff with, I just don't think, um, I think it's real challenging for for a company with a, a DNA, you know, that's been so successful in one area, i.e. ads, to just uh, change stripes to to a different type of type of company. Um, so I just think it's probably still years away. Um, and, um, and yet the headcount is enormous there. So there's that. Um, I think like probably the and then, and then what if they cut back on spending? I was, I was thinking like, I liked the Brad Gershner letter, um, from Altimeter. Right. So for folks listening, Brad was saying instead of spending 10 billion a year, spend 5 billion a year on the metaverse. And now Facebook said they're going to lose even significantly more next year. So they didn't listen. And, and I think he was saying like, just have more job cuts in general, um, because for across the kind of core business, which is more consistent with what other, other companies are doing, but. I was thinking like, even if they did everything that he suggested, what, what, you know, maybe there would be a one day reaction, stock, stock would pop. Uh, but would it really carry through? Would it, would, you know, a month later, three months later, six months later, where would the stock be? And I think you, you know, you're, you'd still be, uh, probably with a challenged stock price because of just concerns about, um, w- you know, what is next for, for the main core business of, of Facebook and, is it really going to be to bounce back? Even if you do a bunch of job cuts, if it's still a shrinking business, um, you know, people are reluctant to jump on board with that kind of a story in, in the tech world. So there's probably, prob- I would say that their best bet is probably this kind of financial engineering, Apple, you know, massive buyback um, approach uh, and with, with like, consci- you know, showing that they are conscientious about, costs, you know, and they're going to pay homage to free cash flow and all this kind of stuff that, that could, that could happen. But my guess is that this is stock is going to be in the penalty box for the next six months 
regardless. And, and with Apple, it took some time for there to be a turnover of a certain types of investors, like the, the growthier investors left, uh, when the buybacks became like, you know, center, center stage. And it sort of attracted the Warren Buffetts of the world and kind of these like more, you know, sort of traditional kind of, you know, uh, slower growth institutional investors to come in and kind of participate in the story. But that, that took some time. It just didn't happen like overnight that, you know, one investor exits and one type of investor sort of arrives. And, um, you know, I was actually like seeing all this investment they're dumping in, you know, speaking of financial engineering, I was looking at all this investment they're dumping into the metaverse. And I was like, you know, does this, you know, can this um, hold up to the law of physics, like spending 10 billion or even more losing that much money, you know, losing more money next year. Um, But it turns out that Meta's made this year 84 billion so far, and it's spent 25 billion on R&D. It made 5 billion last quarter. So um, you know, for all those people hoping that Zuckerberg might pump the brakes, it doesn't look like he has to, and it doesn't seem like he will uh, anytime soon. No, he doesn't. Certainly doesn't have to. And you're right. Like the, that's the scale of Facebook is so enormous that I think sometimes um, we forget that. And so uh, the, the he would probably argue that the percentage investment relative to the size of the business is is still you know, modest. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wouldn't agree. But, um, you know, YouTube was bought for 1.6 billion, like back in 2006. Uh, you know, if we have three years of metaverse spending, what, you know, we're talking like what, you know, 30 to 40 billion that Facebook is going to make. If, if Facebook like announced on, you know, if they were allowed by the government to make a $40 billion acquisition, we would think it was nuts and the stock would have a huge uh, sell off. So, uh, but, you know, this is a company doing 100 billion a year in, in revenue too. So uh, they see it as a bet the bet the farm kind of th- thing. That's why they changed the name of the company. I think that's what also scares investors is that you know things must be really uh, worrisome with the core business uh, if if the management is just like burning the boats, you know, and basically saying you know we gotta we gotta get to this metaverse uh, future come hell or high water, even if it kills the company. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because with Zuckerberg, it doesn't have to be that the core business is, you know, going down immediately. You could potentially have decades of, you know, good, good um, advertising returns. But then you look at Zuckerberg, he's just 38 and he has this ability to think in decades and, and not in quarters. And there's probably, there is definitely truth. Everyone can see it, that that core business is just, the writing is on the wall for it, but it's going to be a while. But the the fundamentals that it was predicated on you know, broadcast sharing to friends and, uh, you know, advertising uh, with attribution. Uh, those have taken uh, pretty big hits due to the fact that the social behavior change in Apple has, has come in the way. So if you're sitting in Zuckerberg's chair, you're 38, you know, <laughs> you you have a good business, but you're, you care more about, about legacy and not becoming Microsoft. And he has good buddies with Bill Gates who went through this where he built Windows, didn't, didn't adapt quick enough. Um, because they had an asset that they could milk and then pay the price. I think that, yeah, I, th- I think that's right. But, um, you know, one counter is I was talking to a former Facebook, um, uh, kind of long time exec, uh, uh, yesterday actually. And, uh, they were saying the thing about Zuckerberg is he, he hasn't really, he has a reputation for not sticking with things. So you remember Facebook phone, right? Remember Facebook uh, was going to kill match and dating yeah. online dating. Um, so they have a history of these sort of big announcements and then uh, 
Zuckerberg himself is, you know, is obviously the, the one in charge, but he's, he's sort of, he's seen as like very interested in that particular area for a while, sitting, sitting in on meetings and Zooms or whatever, but then, uh, losing interest and kind of moving on to some other things. So, yeah. um, this, maybe he's learned from that <laughs> and maybe this is, he's going to, you know, say that this is why I've got to double down on this. And I think another argument he would make is like, Hey, if I'm not going to invest in the metaverse, like I certainly know Apple's going to be. You know, and, and do I want to make kind of the same mistake I made, uh, you know, with Facebook phone kind of like end of lifing that and sort of seeding the whole market to Apple and, um, Android or do, you know, do I really want to go whole hog now and keep up the investment? Uh, so that I don't just see the market to to these other bigger players. Totally, and this is kind of it's, it goes along the lines of what what I mentioned when I was on air with you, uh, you know, last week, which is that um, that Facebook starts initiatives, looks at the data, and then adjusts based off of that. And that can mean you know tripling down on a project, or that can mean you know ignoring the sun, sunk cost and um, and then abandoning it. So you know maybe that is what we see here. I'll read you what Brad told me just a few moments ago. Quote, he may be king, but the best kings care about the well-being of their subjects. They are curious about ways to improve and talk to their stakeholders about ways to make the kingdom even better. So that's from Gerstner uh, just a few moments ago, literally. How would you address the issue as to whether Zuckerberg is going to be willing to do anything that Brad suggests? And they are just that, suggestions, because as Bryn said, they can't be anything more. The way that the, the whole thing is structured with the voting power. The way that Brad describes Mark Zuckerberg, I would say, having met the guy, having spoken with his employees for years, is exactly the type of person that Mark Zuckerberg is. Now, I know it might sound crazy to say that Mark Zuckerberg is amenable to listening to stakeholders, users, and employees, but that's exactly the way that the man has made Meta what it is today. And I don't think it would be where it is today if Zuckerberg was not amenable to feedback. It's a value all throughout the company, and I expect that he's going to do the same thing here. Okay, I, I want to move on to the thing underlying all this, um, which, well, not all this, but underlying Facebook's business, underlying Alphabet's business, that's advertising. We're, we're, we're in the middle of what looks like a, a pretty big advertising slowdown. Um, you know, both these companies, Facebook, you know, uh, did have its revenue contract. Okay, Apple is part of that, but it's also due to this uh, advertising contraction. So having looked at um, the reports from Facebook and, and Google or Meta or an Alphabet, whatever they want to call themselves these days. Um, what is your view on on the state of the ad market? Because um, it's important that you know to these tech to these tech giants, to a lot of the smaller companies, I imagine, and and to the economy overall. Are we now seeing like a real drying up in advertising? I think I think we are. We, you know, I think uh, that's definitely occurring. I think what really um, hurt Google in in its report was. Uh, CPG companies cutting back spending on YouTube. Uh, so that, um, that hurt them. You know, we've, we've seen Snap, um, obviously for five, five quarters now, um, experiencing cut, cutbacks. Um, you know, Facebook, you know, there's no question that when times get tougher, ad budgets, um, the easier ad budgets, you know, are, can, can easily be cut. And so I think all these companies are, um, experiencing that and going through that i think that um and I, I said to scott when when i was with you on monday that you know I, I still like google a lot because of the you know internet search uh still being kind of more more resilient to that uh because it's serving a need and so i i while this quarter you know was a setback for google 
I, I think they're going to be the kind of the, the be- one of the best positioned uh, going through this downturn um, because once the cuts are done in YouTube, you know, it's still a great platform delivering a lot of traffic. So I think they'll be able to kind of move forward from that and people will continue to spend on search. Um, but yeah, there's no question that um, this is a sea change for, for all these companies. And I mean, if you look at some of the small, like, you know, you talked about smaller companies, like tech companies, like if you look like, like there are companies like the trade desk or mag magnite, which is sort of like, you know, sort of like a selling digital, they're selling digital ads um, on connected TVs and stuff, or, or Roku maybe is another, another example of this, like these smaller uh, tech companies that are, that are exposed to digital ads, like they've been hurt way more than these, these bigger players or even, you know, way more compared to somebody like a snap. So uh, yeah, it's, it's brutal if, if you're living and dying by digital ads these days exclusively in your business. Yeah, let's talk about Snap before we head to break. I mean, it's very interesting with Snap. They are having some of the best user growth in social media uh, right now. Like Twitter for years has, you know, clawed its way to add, you know, five five million users a, a year, quarter, whatever it is. Snap added, uh, you know, uh, let's see, it's in daily active users increased 19% to 363 million. So it's way bigger than... Um, Twitter, but it's spending is still out of control. Losses were 359 million over 72 million expected. Um, and it's really struggling to um, make money. It's It has its slowest uh, revenue growth, I think maybe ever uh, last last quarter. So what's the hope for Snap and, and what's the story there? Well, I, I, I see that they are trying to emphasize how they have such a lock of the younger demographic um, and, you know, some high percentage uh, you know, the folks 18 to 34 use, use snap. Um, and they sort of are implying that, uh, they have this global, uh, footprint and a lock on this demographic that's just going to continue to age with snap. And so I think that's their argument for, for why they're, they're relevant and they're going to, you know, become increasingly relevant as that demo ages and, uh, you know, gets more income. Uh, another friend of mine once said to me, like, one of the secrets is that, um, you know, young demos don't spend money. <laughs> so, uh, you got to live like with, the, you know, the, you play the game on the field. Right. And so while I have like a 13 year old who's addicted to snap and sending messages to his, his friends all the time, I mean, he's not looking at ads, he's not going to stories. Um, so how are they going to make money from him? Uh, you know, that that's been their challenge right now. So, uh, and, uh, they've, you know, of course they've, they always have talked about things like spectacles, you know, and we're, we're a camera company and they, now they talk about AR, we're an AR company. We don't believe in the metaverse and we're going to help you do commerce, you know, with AR and stuff. It's just, uh, again, like kind of like uh, Facebook with the, the metaverse, it's just, um, tough. Like I remember t- 20 years ago, Alex, <clears throat> I was at Columbia <laughs> business school mm-hmm. in the middle of the dot-com era and I took a job working for a company that was, it was, it was a software company basically doing like Siri, Alexa type voice recognition apps for all different kinds of companies. And I remember when I joined this company, you know, in like early 2000, uh, they were saying to me like, man, you know, this thing is going to be a rocket ship because they started working on voice recognition 20 years ago, but now's the time that this thing is going to take off. 
And it, you know, it, you know, in honesty, you know, it really didn't take, it took another 15 years after the first 20 for, for uh, Siri and Alexa to come along and really uh, mass market it. So I think with all these things like augmented reality, uh, metaverse and stuff like that, these guys like Evan and Zuckerberg, I'm sure they're right on the, the vision. It's just, it's just, is it going to be another two years or is it going to be another eight or 10 years? Uh, that's really the question. Eric Jackson is with us. He's the president and portfolio manager of EMJ Capital. We've talked Meta. We've talked Snap. A little bit of Alphabet. Uh, we're going to get into some of the bigger enterprise names like Apple. Uh, well, Apple is consumer, but but Amazon, Microsoft. We'll touch on Apple. And uh, we'll come back and kick off with, with Twitter and whether Elon Musk is going to have uh, you know, anything interesting to do with that, that company's business. So stick around. We'll be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Eric Jackson, the president and portfolio manager of EMJ Capital, based in Toronto. One of the best voices that you can listen to on tech and business. Um, Eric, what, what, I mean, the deal is done with Elon. He's already in Twitter headquarters, you know, making a ruckus. Um, is there anything he can do to that business? I mean, obviously it's a private company now, but is there anything that he can do to that business to change the struggles that the company has had for all these times? Or is, it, is Twitter just Twitter? I think he definitely can. Uh, he's got a great track record, obviously, with the, a Tesla and uh, SpaceX in particular. Um, he's got a great reputation for attracting, like, the best of the best, especially on the engineering side, uh, with talent. Uh, I remember hearing like seven years ago that uh, SpaceX was just like cleaning Blue Origin's uh, clock when it came to um, just attracting like serious space talent to that company relative to, to Bezos's uh, Blue Origin. So uh, he has that going for him. Um, we'll see how many, you know, if he cuts 75% of the headcount uh, or not, but my guess is he will for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, uh, they have a lot <laughs> and um, they haven't been effective thus far through many different management teams. 
so he probably sees opportunity to to upgrade some of those people. But the second big reason is that um, with what he paid and the price he paid, uh, a lot of the valuation and a lot of the lending tied to that deal is sort of based off of this uh, the EBITDA that uh, Twitter is able to produce, its profitability. And it has been a billion a year for the last few years. But um, it's also had, I think it's something like three and a half billion a year in, in things like general and, and administration costs and so forth. So basically all the people that are working there. And so it w- really wouldn't surprise me if like a year from now, he had reduced headcount by three quarters and added in some of his own people um, uh, to the technical team and to senior management. Uh, and uh, suddenly they're not doing a billion a year in profitability, but two to three. Uh, and they have a much, much more of a focus. They address some of these uh, kind of like, uh, long time issues uh, that have uh, plagued Twitter. So overall, I'm optimistic. It's pretty, it's everybody loves to complain now that he's paying too much. Mm-hmm. Um, back when he made his offer, uh, everyone was complaining for the first week and a half about that it was like 20 bucks below the all time high or the 52 week high. That Twitter. is true. So, yeah. Times have changed that fast, though. But yeah. So wait, do you predict, do you predict that he's going to do well? I do. Yeah, two yeah. three years out from now, I think he's going to make money for his uh, his investors. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to uh, still have control of this uh, important uh, digital asset, and uh, I think it will have worked out for him. Uh, right. But along, you know, he he will have to cut a lot of costs out of that business. Yeah. So, so, okay. We've done the consumer side. We'll save Apple to the end because they're the exception to the rule. Uh, maybe they're, they're doing some stuff that's helped them uh, survive this at the expense of the others, um, which we'll get into. But um, just looking at Amazon, Microsoft, I mean, one of the really interesting things is that, you know, one of the stalwarts of tech cloud computing, um, which you would imagine it just keep going up at the same rate. Um, we, we haven't seen, you know, the exact, the same, uh, results there. We've seen some, some slowdowns. Um, we've also seen Amazon, uh, be, be unable to contain costs, which I want to ask you about. Um, but, but let's talk about cloud first. My view on cloud is, is cloud is a business will do well in predictable economics times. If you think your company is likely to grow, you're going to invest in cloud infrastructure. You're going to buy some extra space and you can plan, buy, implement and go from there. We're living in this just incredibly uncertain economy where the Fed one day seems like it's going to, you know, keep raising rates forever. And the other day, people, the the big narrative is there's going to be a pivot. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're not going to go into recession or we are. Companies can't plan, so they can't spend on cloud and sort of sends the entire thing up in the air. I mean, it's similar with advertising, but I'm curious if you think that's what's behind some of the slowdown that we've seen in, in cloud for companies like Amazon, which you know, drop nineteen percent after hours. Now it's down fifteen percent. Um, you know, on the week. So curious what you think. And cloud's obviously like a, you know been a huge um, uh, secular uh, force over these last few years in tech. Um, but we, we are seeing uh, this week. Uh, I, I think that the, the 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 slowdown in Azure and AWS were kind of the two. Uh, biggest things that popped out to me out of those reports this week from Microsoft and Amazon. Uh, so we used to be talking like maybe a year ago about 50%, you know, year on year growth for those businesses. And now with like the way that they've cut it down, um, it's, uh, uh, we're talking about something like, you know, 20, mid twenties, um, annualized kind of growth rate. So that's quite a, quite a, a pause. So 
I think, you know, there's not a one size fits all with cloud. Uh, there are different, you know, all kinds of projects that are occurring, uh, in enterprise. And some are seen as sort of must haves in, especially as we kind of go through these tougher economic times. So think, you know, ServiceNow had an earnings report on Thursday, which was bullish. And they, you know, they pointed to the fact that they were, you know, they they saw a lot of growth from their productivity tools and customers sort of feeling like they had to invest in these tools even more uh, in these times uh, to kind of, you know, make the most of either existing investments or the fact that they've done some layoffs in their areas. Um, but there are... Um, Projects for the sake of doing projects, which might end up utilizing space on AWS or Azure. Uh, you know, we I think what we saw in their results is that companies are able to turn some of those projects off that aren't seen as as mission critical, and so that can have an effect even on these kind of behemoths out there. So um, it's uh, there's not you know you have to look on a case by case basis. I mean, I think again as we get in kind of the smaller enterprise names. Uh, I think, you know, you're going to see some companies do really well out of these earnings, uh, and some that just get, get, uh, decimated, uh, because, uh, they're you know, sort of seen as like not, not, not that important businesses. So, um, I think that, uh, you know, Amazon and Microsoft still are strong companies, well positioned for the future. Uh, they've got you know, like, you know, many different aspects of their business, but, uh, the cloud business is definitely slowing. Uh, if, you know, if you minus out the effect of AWS on, on Amazon's profitability over the last five years, it's, it's, uh, pretty shocking, uh, how little money that they've made over these past five years. Um, so, and they would say, well, you know, we're setting ourselves up for success. We're making these big investments. Um, of course they, you know, they've had to, they, in some ways they overinvested. They took on too much of a footprint for different distribution centers and all this kind of stuff. So uh, they're, they're trying to kind of tweak themselves to, to fit the market. Um, but uh, cloud is not just as bulletproof as, uh, as we probably thought six months ago. Even. Which is fascinating. And the, the thing that saved the Amazon business hilariously is, is advertising, where they actually had an increase. And it's sort of like, well, they're not subject to iOS. So, you know, that helps them. Yeah. I think, you know, and they've got new management um, or, or, you know, Amazon does, obviously. So, you know, they, they um, I, I remember the days where people were saying, you know, Tim Cook was uh, no Steve Jobs. And, uh, you know, they, they sort of blamed him for you know, any sign that the business wasn't growing as quick as they, as they thought it should be. But uh, Satch is very competent. So is Andy. Um, I think they're, 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 you know, they're going to get through this. Um Amazon's come back a lot on, on the Friday and, you know, it was, its stock was down something like 20% initially after, after they first reported earnings, but you know, it's, it's nowhere near that uh, now. So, right. um, so it's still a very strong business that have made a bunch of investments that are setting itself up well for, for years to come. And they, they have no kind of global competitor. Andy Jassy. I mean, he comes from the AWS side. Do you think he has the ability to cut costs in a way that a Bezos might? I mean, Bezos brought up in this retail world, right? Ruthless. And you know, you need to be. You don't have margins the same way that a cloud business does. Actually, you know, people are like, well, maybe Wall Street, you know, hit them because of these cloud uh, results. But it actually seems their inability to cut costs, right? They were predicting 
you know, multi-billion dollar operating margin in, in the fourth quarter. Now it's going to be zero, um, you know, according to their guidance. So is Andy Jassy the right person for the job when it comes to uh, living in an era where you have to cut versus you can spend freely where we were before? I think so because he was, uh, he was an Amazon person before he was an AWS person. So I, I think that they yeah, have- but a, he was in AWS for a very long time. Yeah, fair. But um, they ha- that company has a very strong um, cost-conscious culture. And I, you don't get to be sort of one of the kind of early uh, members of the founding team and kind of grew up within that and kind of not have that soaked into your bones. Uh, even if you have to go out and build like some nascent business that nobody believed in initially, uh, and you know was seen as a sinkhole for costs uh, for several years by Wall Street, um, so I, I think that's still in him. And so I think he, uh, you know, it, he's much better positioned than if they had brought some, you know, other you know, big big name uh, who'd never been a part of that culture, had no no kind of experience with it uh, as an outsider. Uh, to, to be CEO, that those, those kinds of things are, are very dangerous, and I don't think they would work well at, at a company where the culture is as strong as Amazon. Yeah, you're right. Those leadership principles at Amazon. I mean, anyone who's listened, who's either working at Amazon or who's hung out with someone working at Amazon, I mean, the leadership principles. You know, uh, they they hold to them more closely than religion, oftentimes or almost all the time. You know, people in uh, Amazon, Amazon marriages. Uh, evaluate the marriage based off of the leadership principles they take and teach them to their kids, and they do apply across the business. But yeah, I do wonder if he, if he he'll, he'll have to figure out a way to do this. Otherwise, it's going to be troubling for for Amazon. And then let's let's just move to Apple. I mean, they seem to rise above it. You know, they they've done a nice job kneecapping Facebook's business. Facebook's been one of their their main competitors. You know, is is Apple doing this well because of shortcuts, or is it doing it this well because it's that good? Well, they're complex, you know, they're such a big business with so many different moving parts. Um, uh, but they, they do everything extremely well. Uh, they have, um, they make money, um, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, they, they have a culture of, uh, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to make a lot of money out of this. Um, and they have such, um, um, you know, and positive inertia going for them. They're, they are an object in motion that's going to stay in motion. Um, and uh, so they, they, as I said at the beginning, I, I, I do, th- you know, they're, they're really the last man standing here of all these big tech names. Uh, it was astonishing to me to see that on Friday that the stock was up something like 8% on the good, good earnings uh, that they had. That, that was basically a, they added a Facebook in market cap <laughs> from the move off of, off of the earnings. So, um, that really kind of gives you a sense of how big they've grown to be. Uh, so, uh, what, what was interesting to me about their quarter was that, um, there was a report a couple of, like a month ago, I think it was from the information that, um, there were signs that they were cutting back on, uh, 14s, iPhone 14s. And people took that as sort of like a, a read through that there was going to be, uh, ne- you know, a negative quarter for them. Um, yeah. And it was such an un- incomplete report because it left out the, it had a report that the iPhone 14 was struggling, but, but I'm uh, sorry, it was cutting back production, but nothing about what was happening in the factories where the pro was being made. And there was lots of demand there. Yeah. And, and 
those reports always happen and they always get a lot of attention. And usually they're from like something like the Nikkei news or something like this, uh, uh, for overseas uh, supplier, they got some word from some factory somewhere that uh, something happened. But Apple is just such a big organization. They have so many factories all over that it's really impossible to to tell what's going on just from you know one person's random comment about what's what's happening in one factory. Uh, and so you know the bottom line is that even though iPhones was you know iPhone was a slight miss on the quarter. It still was still incredibly strong. The guide for the next quarter was still in, incredibly strong, especially compared to the other mega cap tech names. Um, they they saw Apple raising prices on a bunch of their services, uh, which you know obviously they're, they're they're doing that from a position of strength. So I think th- this uh, and and there was a surprise that the gross margins were stronger uh, than than what people expected. And so just like uh, a lot of companies have been hurt by inflation. On the cost side, actually, Apple benefited from sort of deflation, you know, sort of the, the other side of this on, on some key components, uh, especially overseas, uh, that, that led to this like gross margin surprise, even though they had to deal with a, a stronger dollar and all this kind of stuff. So I, th- I think the bottom line is people looked, looked at the report and they said, this thing is, this, this company is still doing incredibly well. Uh, they have, incre- in, you know, this big loyal installed base of customers. They, they, there's still a lot of Android customers switching to Apple to get on the platform. Uh, and that doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. So it's just like full steam ahead for uh, the SS Apple. It's interesting that you say they're raising prices on services from a position of strength. I thought it was from a position of weakness. You know, the services revenue is slowing. That was one of the things that came out in the earnings report. And I felt, you know, them having to raise rates on um, Apple TV Plus and music and Apple One. And trying to squeeze Facebook on those extra few dollars from boosts um, that happen in app was their attempt to reaccelerate uh, the services growth where, where it had slowed down because app store purchases were down. You don't agree with that? Well, I guess we can like one one person's uh, you know um, raising Strength prices is another one yeah from 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 weakness as as another person's like anytime there's a price increase like generally investors kind of applaud that. Um, and if, if they wouldn't do that if they didn't think that they were going to be a net, net, you know, beneficiary from that uh, over time, and that enough people were going to stick around with that price increase. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, I see it as, uh, yeah, hey, services wasn't as strong. You're right, um, but there are things, there are levers here we can pull, you know, and that's going to change in the future. So, um, it just, you know, it gave, gave comfort that there are things that they can do there too continue to, to see that grow. And as that grows, um, and presuming that people decide to pay a higher multiple for that versus the hardware part of the business, it should work out in Apple's favor. You know, Eric, hearing you speak about this stuff, it does seem to me that you're, you know, despite not being in any of these big tech stocks, you're a lot more positive than, you know, maybe the market seems to be at this point. So, um, what are you, are you feeling optimistic about these companies and, and what's your outlook, I think, moving forward? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think we're in a place where rates have gone up so much in such a relatively short amount of time. We haven't really experienced that. That I I do think that things are going to start to grind to a halt in the general economy, and that is something that the Fed is just not going to be able to um, ignore. And so, uh, therefore we're probably closer to, you know, 
rate cuts, you know, uh, being kind of the, you know, the main focus rather than continued rate increases. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be next month or, you know, the first part of 2023 or something like May of 2023, but I definitely think we are, you know, by the second half of next year, uh, everybody's going to be talking about the lousy economy, deflation. Um, we got to cut in order to kind of get things stimulated again. And while that's bad in general for, for all of us, for the economy as, as citizens, uh, and it will be painful for many as, as they go through unemployment, that's surely to, to rise, you know, with that. Um, it, it's, you know, that period is generally the beginnings of kind of a new bull market when it comes to stocks. So we, we've been, you know, it's been tough to be bullish, um, with, with stocks over the last year, especially. Um, but, you know, things are shifting and changing. And as I said before, the, the tech stocks in particular, they're just always going to be a fascination for a lot of investors because they perceive that corner of the market as having the highest growth potential. Uh, and as, as so many names have been, uh, you know, really brought down to, to earth over these last uh, two years, uh, the, the winners definitely will see, um, some big stock gains to come. So as, as a stock picker, that gets me excited. So near the bottom. Yep. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Thank you, Eric, for, be, for being on the show. Really great to speak with you. Man, there, there was a lot of action with the big tech companies, and I think we managed to cover almost all of it. So thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Great chatting with you. Um, thanks, to Eric, for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Nick Watney, for uh, editing the audio. Um, sorry to anyone who heard some drilling going on in the background. Certainly had some drilling in the area today. My apologies. Um, and apologies to Nate for having to figure that stuff out. Uh, thank you to LinkedIn for having me as part of your podcast network. Uh, thanks to all of you, the listeners. Just uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have a special uh, midterms preview coming out over the weekend. So stay tuned for that. Two of my favorite political commentators will be on Marshall Kosloff and Soccer and Jetty from the realignment. Well, that will do it for us here. Thank you again for being here this week. And we'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Mm-hmm.